Thank you for listening to America's Start, an American history podcast designed with quick and simple lessons to broaden your knowledge and understanding of how America got its start. This is Season 2, Episode 4, The Legislative Branch, Section 6 through 10. In outlining Article 1 of the Constitution, Sections 1 through 5 were covered in Part 3 of this series. This series is designed to be listened in order, so if you're just finding this podcast, I ask that you go back and listen to the first three parts before listening to Part 4. Part 1 is the introduction, what led up to the Constitution. Part 2, we the people which is the preamble to the Constitution, and Part 3, the Legislative Branch, Sections 1 through 5. If you're a history nerd like me, you can go all the way back and listen to my five-part series on the Declaration of Independence. Again, that's Season 1 of this podcast, and you can also find it on my blog, which is available in the show notes. Now let's continue with Sections 6 six through 10 of Article 1. Section 6, Compensation, Arrest, and emoluments. First, let's take a look at the actual text from the Constitution. The senators and representatives shall receive a compensation for their services to be asserted by law and paid out of the Treasury of the United States. They shall in all cases, except treason, felony, and breach of the peace, be privileged from arrest during their attendance at sessions of their respective houses and in going into and returning from the same. And for any speech or debate in either house, they shall not be questioned in any other place. No senator or representative shall, during the time for which he is elected, be appointed to any civil office under the authority of the United States, which shall have been created, or the emoluments whereof shall have been increased during such time. And no person holding any office under the United States shall be a member of either house during his continuance in office. That says a lot. Let's break it down. First off, pay. The first paragraph states two things. First, members of Congress will be paid for their services according to the law. That means that Congress votes for their own pay raise. That was modified by the 27th Amendment so that any pay raises that were voted on by Congress would not take effect until the next election has taken place. Therefore, a member of Congress is voting for the pay raises of the next people in office. It might be them or it might be their successor. Two, free from arrest. Second, it states that a member of Congress can't be arrested for things they might say or do in their job as a congressperson unless it is an extreme breach of duty, such as treason or a felony. This is put in place to allow for rigorous debate and prevent the legislative branch from being bullied by the executive branch for debating things they do not agree with. This does not mean that a congressperson is exempt from the law, it does mean that they can argue and debate freely. Three, emoluments. The second paragraph of section six states that an elected official may not hold any other position within the government. It also says that if a congressperson takes part in a vote for a new position in government, they may not leave their elected position to take this newly minted position. This was put in place to try and curb corruption. Section seven, passing bills. Section 7 talked about how a bill moves through the Congress to become a law. Do you remember Schoolhouse Rock, I'm Just a Bill? They nailed it. Section 7 is broken into three parts. Part 1 states the following. All bills for raising revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives, but the Senate may produce or concur with amendments as on other bills. 
This is interesting because if you remember from part three, representatives are elected every two years. So they're more likely to take into account their constituents' wants and needs when spending taxpayer money. The path of a bill. The second part of section seven talks about how a bill moves through Congress. Here are the main points. Every bill passes the House and the Senate shall be presented to the President of the United States. It then has a few paths it can take. First, if the President approves, they can sign it and it becomes a law. If there's a high quality communication between the legislative branch and the President, then this is what happens. The House and the Senate typically won't put a bill on the President's desk if they know he won't sign it. Two, if the President does not approve, he can veto it or return it to the House in which it's stated, and they will enter the issues into their journal. They will consider the president's objections and rework the bill in an attempt to put in front of the president again. Three, if a bill sits on the president's desk and he chooses not to sign it and chooses not to veto it, after 10 days, it will become law. Why would a president do this? It gives the president some flexibility. It allows a bill to become a law without having the president's name on it. There's another way that a bill will not become law. If the bill sits on the president's desk for 10 days and he did not veto it and he did not approve, but Congress is adjourned, then the bill dies and must be taken again, taken up again when the Congress reassembles. The third part of Section 7 gives instructions for passing a bill that the president has vetoed. If Congress can pass the original bill with two-thirds vote in each house, it will become law even though the president does not approve. This is called a veto override, and it is rare. Section 8, Taxes and Money. Section 8 gives Congress the authority to raise taxes and gives out guidance on what they are allowed to spend tax money on. Here is the first paragraph of Section 8. The Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excesses, to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. But all duties, imports, and excises shall be uniformed throughout the United States. We see some of the same language that we saw in the preamble, and that taxes collected will be used for debts, common defense, and general welfare. It also lays out that taxes will be equal across the states. The federal government can't tax Florida at a higher rate than it taxes Montana. States have their own individual tax laws for how the state collects money. The rest of Section 8 lays out all the other things that Congress is allowed to do. The list is pretty extensive, so I'll just hit the high points. But I encourage you to view the entire section available in my blog, which is available in the show notes. The Congress is allowed to borrow money, regulate trade between countries, between the states, and between Indian tribes, develop rules for naturalization, Print money and provide punishment for printing fake money. Establish a post office. Promote the progress of science and useful arts. Set up federal courts that are subordinate to the Supreme Court. Push pirates and other offenses committed. Punish pirates and other offenses committed on the high seas. Declare war. Raise and support in an army as well as make the rules for governing them. Call up the militia to execute laws, quell an uprising, or repel a foreign invasion. Provide a system of states to man, equip, and train their own militias. Allow the federal government to buy land and set up government buildings, forts, docks, etc. Section 8 concludes with what is referred to as the Elastic Clause, meaning that it gives Congress the ability to stretch and flex to meet the needs and wants of the country by making laws that are, quote, necessary and proper. 
the Constitution states, to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution and foregoing powers and all other powers vested by this Constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or office thereof. Section 9, Limitations. Section 8 laid out what Congress was allowed to do. Section 9 lays out what Congress is not allowed to do. And Section 9 starts out with a bang. It states, the migration or importation of such persons as any of the states now existing shall think proper to admit shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year 1808, but a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation, not exceeding $10 for each person. In simple terms, Section 9, Clause 1, protects the slave trade until 1808. Several states had already outlawed trading slaves within their state boundaries, and Vermont was the first state to outlaw slavery altogether in 1777, one year after the Declaration. Southern states were worried that because Congress would have the power to control trade, that they would end the slave trade altogether, crippling their economies. Charles Pickney of South Carolina said, South Carolina and Georgia cannot do without slaves. Both states threatened to leave the convention over the matter. To keep things moving and save the Constitution, the slave trade was protected for 20 years, after which the slave trade was completely forbidden. The Founding Fathers were very concerned about the federal government becoming too powerful, so the rest of Section 9 placed other limitations on the Congress. Again, I will summarize. Capius Corpus will not prevent a prisoner from bringing their case in front of the court except for extreme circumstances. Ex post facto, no bill can be enforced before its passage. If a law is passed that say you cannot wear a blue hat on Thursday, no one can be punished if they wore that hat on Tuesday. Taxes, cannot be collected unfairly and all spending must be documented. People in office, cannot have titles of nobility, can't accept gifts, bribes, jobs, etc. from any foreign country. This is an attempt to keep foreign countries from meddling in U.S. affairs. Section 10, Limiting the States. Section 10 is addressing some of the issues exposed in the Articles of Confederation. If you remember from part one of this series, the Articles of Confederation provided a very weak central government, a reaction from the founders who remembered the bullying of King George III. With that in mind, the limitations on the states is minimal. Again, the founders trying to maintain a delicate balance of strong central government and state sovereignty. Here is section 10 in its entirety. No state shall enter into a treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of marquee or reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin, a tender in payment of debts, pass any bill of attenitor, ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of contracts, or grant any title of nobility. No state shall, without the consent of the Congress, lay in impost or duties on imports or exports, except that may be absolutely necessary for executing its inspection laws, and the net produce of all duties and imposts laid by any state on imports or exports shall be for the use of the Treasury of the United States, and all such laws shall be subject to the revision of the control of the Congress. No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duties of tonnage, 
keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, enter an agreement or compact with any other state or with a foreign power, or engage in war, unless actually invaded or in such Im imminent danger as will not admit of delay. That's a lot. But in summary, it says the states are not allowed to do the following. States are not allowed to make treaties, print their own money, or make their own form of money, punish people without a trial or before the law was passed, interfere with private contracts, give titles of nobility, that means I'll never be the king of Kingsford, change import or export taxes except to pay for inspections, States aren't allowed to make preparation for war or engage in war unless they are invaded and, or, and Congress doesn't know yet. Remember the communication systems at the time. There it is, Article 1 of the Constitution. I hope you've learned something about the greatest political document ever written. The Constitution is very complex, yet simple at the same time, balancing the need for specificity with the elasticity, elasticity of vagueness. It's not perfect but it does move us towards a more perfect union. Please listen in next week when we talk about episode five, The President. America's Start podcast can be found wherever you find quality podcasts. If this is your first time listening, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends to help spread the word. You can follow John at Mr. Underscore JVD on Twitter, and you can also read his blog, which is at mrvanduzen.blogspot.com.